everybody i am sean graham scott alongside as always hello scott oh sean bud i'm feeling uh, i'm feeling strong but also feeling sore <laughs> just got back from the gym yeah you're getting all swole eh oof boy and i'll tell you what uh because of a bunch of reasons i, I had to do my workouts two days in a row this week yeah i uh i don't recommend it <laughs> why is that Oh man, I was huffing and puffing, and my legs feel like Jello right now. Uh, <laughs> That's good. But, that uh, means uh, it means it's working. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Uh, we also upped the reps today, so I was feeling uh, maybe that maybe that contributed as well. Potentially, yeah, that is a thing that can happen when you uh, really you know hit it hard like that, Scott. Yeah, but you know, I, I mean, I was, I was finding it easy at the other uh, at the previous level, so. We got to step it up. That, up. Uh, yeah, that is the key. And you know what else we're stepping up, Scott? It is the Olympic qualification process here in Canada. It is time to step it up to the next level as we have a bunch of teams that are en route to Liverpool, Nova Scotia for the actual pre-trial event, not of the pre-pre-trials or direct entry, nothing like that. This is your regular old pre-trial event, slightly different format than what we've seen in the past, but Scott, uh, the, the closer we get with every step here, it's it's really dawning on us that we are going to have an Olympic representative picked within five weeks here. Yeah, five weeks. Wow, that's uh, ooh, that that is pretty incredible. It's uh, really sneaking up on us. It really is. Uh, late November, just over a month from now, in Saskatoon. We will have nine men's teams, nine women's teams convened. Kind of, sort of interestingly enough, uh, Scott, at the same time as the Euros are taking place. Yeah, it's going to be a busy week, right? It really uh, will. Yeah, yeah, lots of curling on TV. You know what? That uh, I might take that week off work. There you go. Why not, eh? Why not? Just uh, make sure I've I got all my attention focused on on the trials. Yeah, so... Uh, here we go. We're we're gonna talk about the pre-trials here. There are what are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, fourteen women's teams, fourteen men's teams in the field here. They are broken into pools of seven, and we will have a round robin within the pools. And Scott, let's talk about the playoff format a little just to start, because there are two spots available, men's and women's. Uh, seven teams have already qualified. For the trials, this is to fill in the last two spots. So how this is going to work is that you will play your round robin. The top two teams in each pool will go through to, let's say, it's the A qualifier. And there will be the first place finisher will play the second place finisher from the other pool. The two winners will play. And that winner is in to the trials. The people who lose so the two losers of that of that one two game they will go and play the third place finishers from each of the pools those four teams will play down and the winner out of those four teams will play the loser of the a 
qualifying game. So essentially, Scott, how you've described it to me, which actually made a lot more sense in my head when you described it, is that the top two teams in each pool basically have a double knockout playoff. The third place finishers get a single knockout playoff. And that's how we will determine our four teams that emerge here. That's right. That's right. And so I I think that's the easiest way to think about it. We're going from 14 men's teams, 14 women's teams down to just two. Uh, So you got to get there somehow. And it is nice to reward the teams that finish a bit higher in this, but also, you know, there's something to still play for if you're in third place in your pool. And I think we could see like quite a, quite a log jam, you know, maybe uh, some ties for that last spot uh, in the pool. So it'll be nice, you know, a little margin for error. Yeah, there, there is some margin for error there, like you say, and I think there will be space. Is there space for tiebreakers here too? So, I mean, every game is really going to matter to get into those spots, but certainly an advantage to be in the top two in your pool. And, uh, and looking at the four pools, nothing really stands out in terms of like a pool of death, if you will. I think they're, they're pretty well matched up and, and pretty even if you look across the pools. So uh, I'm excited to see how this is going to go. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And I don't see any time slots allotted for tiebreakers. So uh, we could be looking at a, a last stone draw or uh, whatever they call it as yeah. the as the mechanism for breaking those ties. Sure. All right. So let's uh, we're going to go through this and go team by team, pool by pool. Hey everyone, Future Sean here. Just wanted to hop on real quick to say that the stats that we're using in this episode do not include the results from the Penticton Spiel the week after Thanksgiving. We recorded it just before that event started, so those numbers are not included, nor are the numbers from this past weekend's Grand Slam. Fortunately, only one of the teams from the Slam is participating in Liverpool. That's Jason Gunlickson's team, so the numbers for him don't include those results. So just wanted to clear that one up in case you had any questions. So back to you, Passion. Well, let's start on the women's side in pool number A. Scott, let's uh, take this in the order that they are on the Curling Canada website, which is alphabetical. So let's start with Penny Barker, team out of Saskatchewan, a former world silver medalist. Scott, she has played in nine provincial championships out there in Saskatchewan she was won once in 2017 didn't have the greatest of weeks at the Scotties uh, she might not be the most familiar name to folks out there she has never played in any of the current slams she did play in the Colonial Square three times when it was considered a slam back when the women were not uh, participating in all of the slams as we know them now and Scott though so what are her numbers look like so Sean I just threw together some real quick uh, numbers looking at the the hammer factor uh, for each of these teams this year. Now, my caveat to that is that this is an extremely small sample size. So I don't know that we can glean that much from these, but, uh, you know, it's a quick way to sort of say, okay, which teams might be favored uh, right. based on how they've played so far this year. So uh, as a reminder, hammer factor is hammer efficiency. Uh, so the rate at which you convert the hammer Minus your steel defense, which is uh, uh, how little you give up steals. Sure. So uh, a high number in steel defense is bad because you want it to be very low. 
so that's why you subtract it. Now we've got uh, Penny Barker converting on the hammer at 33% only. It's not great. And a steel defense of 31% uh, gives her an overall hammer factor of 0.02. Not, uh, not great. What we're looking for in hammer factor is for the women's side, it's anything above 0.28. You're going to be like a great, great team. Uh, so for this event, since uh, the top teams in, in Canada are already sorted out of this, we're going to look for anything above 0.2 will be a, a pretty good hammer factor. Okay. And anything below 0.1, uh, there's going to be some work to do. And I, I'm not very uh, confident in, in that with the caveats I gave before. So 0.02, right. that's below 0.1. Uh, not great. Not great. Okay. So not not doing so well this year. That's the sample size of only seven games. So take from that yeah. what you will. Yeah, so a limited sample there, but uh, the peripherals don't look great for Penny Barker. Scott, a team that, where the peripherals might look a little better is Corinne Brown. She played in the pre-pre-trials, and she was unsuccessful in getting the direct entry spot for the trials. So she is here in Liverpool for the pre-trials. Kind of an interesting note that uh, I took from the pre-pre-trials is that out of her six games, she only had the last rock in one of those games in the first end. So not great on those uh, last shot first end draws that, that draw to the button before the game. You're going to have to tighten that up because it does really make a difference in terms of winning percentage, having that last rock in the first end. Also kind of interesting that she gave up 15 multiple score ends in that event and only had 10 herself. So you're going to want to see better execution with the hammer and not giving up those multiple ends. And I would assume, Scott, that that would have an impact potentially on her hammer factor. So she was able to convert uh, at, a, at a pretty good rate uh, at 41%, 0. 0.41, uh, and did limit the steals. But like you say, for her, it was the multiple scores that really uh, put them behind the eight ball. Uh, they were able to limit the multiples to, to no fours against, only uh, 12 twos and three threes, as you mentioned. Uh, so her hammer factor is 0.25. I feel like that's uh, pretty good. Uh, I I th- think this team will be sort of at the top uh, of this pool come the end of the week based on that. And the sample size we have for her is 19 games. So a bigger sample size, maybe a little more to take from these numbers. But uh, pretty uh, hammer factor 41% is pretty good. Yeah. And she is the only team from those pre-pre trials who is here in the or in this particular pool who pool. played in that direct entry uh, event so she would be considered i think probably in the rankings the best team here uh, maybe not so much in terms of our estimation we'll get to who that might be a little later but just in terms of rankings certainly the highest team here so uh, but mm-hmm. scott they're gonna have to go through a buzzsaw this year that's right the team from Yellowknife. It's Carrie Galusha making her first ever appearance at a pre-trials event. First ever for a Northwest Territories team, I believe. Scott, it is a 5,936-kilometer drive from Yellowknife to Liverpool. And uh, we'll talk about why that matters in, in, a, in a minute. But Scott, at the pre-trials, or at the pre-pre-trials, she, had the, she was at the pre-trials direct entry event here in Ottawa. Did not lose, ran through the field, outscoring opponents 34 to 21. Has had a great season so far, has won an event in Oakville, was in another final 
made the playoffs at the Stu Cells Chiroqueville event that uh, was that took place over Thanksgiving. And so really just a, a very strong season so far. Joanne Rizzo playing great, throwing those four stones. And for as much as you don't think of Kerry Galusha as necessarily a trials team, based on how they're playing, you got to take them seriously. Big time, Sean, big time. 15 and three so far this team on the year, uh, including that uh, Olympic qualification uh, the, the, or the pre-trials entry event. So yeah, they're feeling it. Uh, didn't this weekend didn't end, you know, the way they were hoping, uh, the, the stew cells Oakville, what, whatever <laughs> they lost their last game, but, uh, it's a lot to build on for this team. And yeah. so, uh, they're definitely one to watch because of the hot start that they've had this fall, uh, looking at their numbers real quick. Hammer factor is only 0.13. I, I think their steel defense is what's really letting them down. Their hammer efficiency is at 40%. So. You know they're they're one of these teams that's maybe not right at the top, but based on the results, uh, you know the, you play to win the game, as they yeah. say. So I yeah, uh, can't argue with that. Yeah, absolutely. So next on the list here in Pool A, it's Jacqueline Harrison. Her team has had a very good start to the season. They have made the playoffs in all three of the events they have entered thus far. All of those have been in Oakville, the Fall Classic, the Labor Day Classic, and the Stu Cells, uh, but the Toronto version that was played in Oakville, not the Stu Cells Oakville version. And it's, it's interesting, Scott, to look at their numbers for the year. Uh, they do have a plus 19 point differential, which you would expect given how many games they've won. But they have had 47 ends with the hammer and given up 18 stolen points, which kind of stood out to me. That seems like a lot of points to give up in that number of ends with the hammer. So how does that impact their overall numbers? Yeah, Sean, you're bang on there. That uh, that steel defense number is only 0.3 uh, due to all those stolen points. Like you say, y- you want this definitely to be below 0.2 uh, and seeing it all the way up at 0.3 is really not uh, not ideal. Uh, hammer efficiency is 35. It's fine. It's not uh, anything to write home about, but because of that steel defense, uh, it takes them to 0.05, just 5% hammer factor uh, over those 12 games. Not uh, not great. They're going to have to limit the steals if they want to have some success at the pre-trials. Absolutely. And uh, so let's move on, Scott, to one of our favorites. It's Krista McCarvel, her team coming down from Northern Ontario. Scott, she has come through the pre-trials twice before to qualify for the trials back in 2009 and in 2017. Had a tougher run there in 2017 here in Ottawa at the full trials. Uh, They competed in 2013 but missed the playoffs. But that was only a few months after she had announced that she was taking a step back from curling uh, to focus on her career. Of course, she's a teacher. And uh, her her kids, uh, the, the kids were, of course, younger then than they were now or are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, maybe wipe out 2013 a little bit because uh, they hadn't really been practicing all that much where they got the invite and they went. So the, the fact that she's done this twice before, the fact that their whole schedule is not necessarily dominated by trying to qualify for those Olympic trials, you do wonder what that experience is like and how important that's going to be. But Scott, where do they stand as we sit here going into this event in the events that they have played this year? Yeah, it's uh, this is why uh, such a small sample size is not always the best way to look at things, Sean. Uh, in their games that they've played so far, with the hammer, they've given up uh, 
one, two, uh, many steals. Let's just say many steals. Their <laughs> steal defense uh, uh, is only point five is point five nine, which is uh, incredible, incredibly bad. <laughs> Remember, I said you want it to be under point two. Yeah, point uh, five nine. Uh, you're giving That's, up steals yeah. in fifty nine percent of the time, and and that was sort of their story. I'd say they've only played four games. Uh, right. on the curling zone website so the yeah. statistics are really skewed uh that said uh their hammer efficiency wasn't great either so they're at negative 0.34 hammer factor and when you see somebody at negative oof uh that's not a good sign that no. said small sample size mccarvel's done it before i have every confidence that she's going to be able to do it again uh, they have a great team and they just show up and win so yeah that they you know do. knock a little rust off and uh there you go yeah absolutely because yeah as you say the start of excuse me the start of the season has not gone well for Kristen mccarville we'll see if they can turn it around here in liverpool and one of the teams they'll be trying to turn it around against justin murphy her team is coming into this event eight and eight on the season but just a interesting factoid they're five and oh when they've started the game with the hammer so you're going to be looking at that last rock draw before the game. You're going to want to have to win, or you're going to want to win those start in that position of power because they have demonstrated so far this year that that is a huge advantage for them, and they can really take that to their advantage, convert early in the game, get that lead, and play it out. Scott, does that play out with the numbers and their ability with the hammer? Um, I. I'm not sure because uh, their steel defense uh, still pretty high, 0.33, uh, not what you want to see. Uh, I guess it helps to start with the hammer and their hammer efficiency is 0.31, but they're still in that negative category when it comes to hammer factor. And that's really not something that you want to see. No, it's not. So uh, we'll have to see how they can respond, if they can get turned that number around. Uh, all right, another team we have, the final team here in Pool A, it's Beth Peterson. Saw her at the Scotties last year as one of the wildcard teams. Kind of an interesting fact here is that in 14 ends that she stole at the Scotties, she scored 24 points. She gave up 12 steals at the Scotty, but only gave up 13 points. So even when they're giving up steals, very good job there of limiting the damage compared to what they were able to score on steals, averaging almost a half point more per steal than they gave up on a steal. So I think that's a pretty good sign, being able to limit that damage. Now, not a great sign. She did lose eight of the 12 last stone draws. So she was starting without the hammer, I think probably too much to be successful. Uh, but Scott, how are they doing this year in terms of their hammer and steel efficiency? Well, doing quite quite well, Sean. Uh, we've got a sample size, just 11 games, uh, but a hammer efficiency of 56 that, Again, that means you're converting at least a two on 56% of the ends you have hammer. That's really, really incredible. And limiting the steals, 0.14. Like I said, you want to keep that under 0.2. So they're doing that. And uh, they've got the highest hammer factor, spoiler alert, of any team uh, on the women's side at 0.42. So uh, this, this team might be, uh, I look at them as one of the favorites in this pool based on what how they're playing. Yeah, and we certainly saw how good they were last year getting into that championship pool as a, as a team that nobody, I think, going into the week really expected, given that we didn't really know all that much about them. A lot more 
talk about people like Mackenzie Zacharias, for instance. So it'll be fun to see them out here again. So yeah, that, that's a, a good pool here. So just to wrap mm-hmm. up pool A, it is Penny Barker, Corinne Brown, Carrie Galusha, Jacqueline Harrison, Krista McCarville, Justin Murphy, and Beth Peterson. Three of those teams will come through into the playoffs where they will cross over against pool B. And let's start with the one, the only, Sherry Anderson. She is bringing her team. Of course, Nancy Martin is going to be there as well. Get ready to see a lot of that photo on our Twitter account during this event. Uh, She is the two-time defending world senior champion. She just goes and wins these events. It's amazing to see. Uh, She had a pretty good week at the Scotties last year, again, with Nancy Martin, having a lot of fun there. Scott, how have they started off this season? Well, uh, you know, uh, the veteran of veterans, Sherry Anderson, uh, starting off, I'd say pretty run-of-the-mill this year, at 34% on the hammer efficiency, uh, a little high on the steel defense, 23%, uh, 15-game sample, so a little bit bigger for them. 0.11 hammer factor. I think they'll, they'll be a team to watch just because of how good Sherry Anderson is and can be. Uh, but I would say there's other teams that have higher ceilings. Yeah. And perhaps one of those teams is Suzanne Burt, her team from PEI. They went to the pre pre trials, trying to get the direct entry to the trials. I uh, did not play particularly well there. They lost the last rock draw in each of their four games that they played they only scored 5.5 points which is way down for suzanne burt they have to be more aggressive and suzanne burt has to make those last shots i saw her play a couple games and she was off like they they had chances early in ends through the middle of ends but suzanne herself just missed some some shots uh, and missed those bailout shots too uh, when they were trying to either steal or limit damage from the other side, she was just off on that draw weight. And if Suzanne doesn't have it, the way that she likes to play, uh, it's not going to be a lot of fun for them if she's not making those draws because she likes to mix it up, likes to have a lot of rocks in play. Uh, but Scott, how is that translated to her numbers early in the year? That Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, right? To only have scored 5.5 points per game. I'm looking back at her last three seasons, uh, 2021, 2020, and 2019. Uh, and her points four per game, 9.2, 8.2, 8.8 for yeah. those three years. So, yeah, definitely needs to pick up that scoring to regain some of that form, being more aggressive. Uh, that said, her hammer efficiency quite good in the uh, in the sample we have for this year, 45%. That's what, that's what you want to see. It's very strong. And a 16% steel defense, uh, all amounting to a 0.29 or 29% hammer factor. So uh, quite high, quite good. Uh, and as you said, this is one of the, the teams that dropped down from that direct entry event and thus is, is higher in the rankings than some of the others. But uh, the numbers are bearing that out too. Okay. So uh, yeah, one of the favorites. Yes. Uh, so let's move on to the hometown team for this event. That's Jill Brothers. Scott, we talked that the drive time for Carrie Galusha, if she were to drive, she's not driving. Uh, but the drive distance would be <laughs> 5,900 kilometers for Jill Brothers. It's 147 kilometers drive from Halifax, just a little, what, south and west out to Liverpool. Scott, the, the main thing for this team 
and I noted it at the pre-pre-trials. Kim Kelly is on the team. Kim Kelly is playing and playing great, uh, or at least in the games that we saw during those pre-pre-trials. We were there when they won this berth on that Sunday morning. We saw that game. Neither team played great. Uh, you know, if, if Jill herself plays the way she played that morning, that's probably not going to be a fun week for them. Uh, just because the the level is going to be a little higher now. The ice was tough there. It had been raining all week in Ottawa. There was a leak later in the day on that same sheet. So who knows how much ice conditions played into it because uh, neither team was particularly good that morning. But uh, I, I think this is a team where they have the ability certainly to play really well, get into the playoffs, but they also have the the ability uh, potentially to have a really long week and and maybe be at the bottom of the table. Like I, I think this is a team that has a, a really big variance from being able to qualify to the trials to not getting into the playoffs. Yeah, I uh, I could see that for sure. Uh, looking at the the numbers, thirty seven percent hammer efficiency is pretty good, but the twenty seven percent steel defense uh, not as good. Uh, take those uh, numbers and you get a point one on the hammer factor which yeah it puts them at about a you know 50th in the world sort of level that's that's right. sort of the between 50 and 100 in the world that's that's where that is so yeah i think this is just on the edge here uh, maybe the hometown cooking will will help but yep. uh, they're going to they're going to have to catch lightning in a bottle and you know if with kim kelly there anything's possible yeah all right, next on the list here in Pool B on the women's side, it's Holly Duncan, a team that has gotten off to a phenomenal start this year. They are 15-5 and five on the year. They have won two events, the Stu Sells Toronto and the Stu Sells Oakville, both played in the same place. Uh, also made the final of the KW Fall Classic, which they lost to Kerry Galusha. So, Scott, I based on that 15-5 and five so far this year, I would think that they're – peripherals are looking pretty good yeah sean uh, you even identified it in in your show notes that we uh, share with each other 54 percent hammer efficiency that's uh that's a number that really jumps off the page uh we talked about uh, beth peterson's at 56 54 uh, same ballpark really really impressive uh steel defense it's a little higher than i'd like to see uh, at 0.22 but uh, you know you put those numbers together you got a 0.32 uh, that's that's very excellent uh, and very impressive for this team. So yeah, this team could be could be one of the ones to watch. Yeah, and, and don't forget too, Holly Duncan was in the trials in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. So I mean, she's certainly capable of getting a team there because she's done it. So don't sleep on Holly Duncan. No, no, don't uh, don't for sure. I think she was with. I'll look into it while we yeah, talk about fact the check that. Yeah, fact check that. Okay, well, actually, yeah, fact check that, Scott, because she definitely played in the 2018 Scotties. She definitely skipped Ontario in the 2018 Scotties and had that tie break to get into the championship pool, which she won on that when on that Thursday morning. So, uh, But a, a capable player, Holly Duncan, no question about it. Uh, Absolutely. So, so another capable player, Danielle Inglis is here. She is happy not to be in the same pool as Carrie Galusha, though. She is 0-3 against Carrie Galusha so far this year. Danielle Inglis is local to us. One of the nicest people ever to beat the hell out of us on a curling rink, uh, Scott. Uh, but is there a conflict of interest here? She's a Curling Canada, at least contractor, if not a Curling Canada employee. I mean, do you think, you know, they, they you know shift things around a little bit, give Danielle Inglis 
a little leg up. <laughs> well, Sean, you're right that they are uh, definitely one of the nicest teams we played uh, and definitely one of the nicest teams that destroyed us. But, you know, everybody destroyed us that year. <laughs> that, that said, uh, no, it was really fun to play against Daniel and the rest of the team. Uh, hammer efficiency, 0.33. The steel defense, 0.34. Uh, puts them just into the negative territory. Uh, not ideal. They're going to have to come up and and you know really put together their best week to be able to come out of this event. Uh, I saw them playing at the Ontario Scotties in 2020, uh, where they played really really well, lost out, uh, I think to Holly Duncan in the semifinal or another team in the semifinal who then you know went on to lose to Rachel Holman, but. Uh, yeah, they've got great attitude there out on the, out on the ice and maybe, hopefully they'll get a TV game. Maybe, maybe they will as, uh, maybe she's got some pull. Yeah. Maybe she got some pull. Now the other, the other way it could go though, is that maybe curling Canada rigs it against her because they want her at the trials doing all the great work she does on this, the back end of things with the social media and everything that she does there. Like it could rig it the other way too. Oh geez. Yeah. I, I didn't think of that. (laughs) <laughs> that'd be that'd be tough that'd be tough yeah, watch your back danielle make sure everything's on the level <laughs> yeah make sure everything's on the up and up <laughs> all right the uh, second to last team here in the pool is darcy robertson who just shows up and makes playoffs although i don't know how true that's been uh in the past couple of years uh she did participate in the 2017 pre-trials went two and four in that event uh she, interestingly enough uh she is zero two against beth peterson so far this year. And, and I think when I look through their schedule, those are probably the, the two toughest games that they played. Uh, so overall, they haven't had the greatest start to the season. And I don't know what to expect from Darcy Robertson. Scott, do the numbers tell us anything? Uh, well, they tell us they're not having a great start to the season, like you just said. Um, a, a negative 0.1 hammer factor, uh, giving up a lot of steals. It's yeah. You never want to be in that negative territory. We've said in the past she shows up and makes playoffs. I think this is this is maybe where that uh, that ends. Yeah, I think that's the likely scenario here. But again, she's good enough that if she can have that Michelle Englot type run, uh, if we go back to the twenty seventeen Scotties, uh, possible, right? Certainly it, possible. It, any, anything is possible. Yeah. All right, and the last like Kevin team, Garnett. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the last team in the pool here, it's Mackenzie Zacharias and her team, which we saw in the Scotties back in February. Scott, this is going to sound potentially like a very esoteric stat, but I, I was really taken by this when I, I looked up their numbers from the Scotties. So they were pretty consistent on three parts of their game. So in-turn hits, 71%. Out-turn hits, 72%. Outturn draws, 71%. And each of those they threw between 122 and 141 times as a team. So those are remarkably consistent numbers. But mm-hmm. they threw 207 intern draws for 80%. So not only are they throwing this particular thing better, the intern draw better than they're doing everything else, they're also throwing it at least what, 50% more than their next most common shot. And it seems like that is a recognition of this team that, hey, this is what we're good at. This is where our strength is. 
let's do this more because there's no logical reason why that number should be that high unless you're actively calling a game to make yourself have intern draws. And mm-hmm. so it's rare for a young team to be so much better at draws than, to, than it hits just early on. While at the same time, it shows that to me that at least unconsciously, if not actually consciously, they are aware that this is a strength. The intern draw is a strength for the team and they're trying to cater ends to get to that point to throw those shots. So it'll be fun to see. Hopefully there is a TV game with them just to see if that is the case anecdotally in in a small sample size to watch it while also seeing if other teams know this and try to force them away from that if they can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see that sort of a strategic use of the stats uh, come into the the game for them. That would be interesting. As far as the numbers go, pretty pretty run-of-the-mill. Like uh, They're at point one, the same number we saw for the Jill Brothers rank, uh, same for Sherry Anderson's rank. So I think they'll be sort of in the mix for that third spot uh, in this uh, event, that third spot in the pool. Uh, but there is a lot of young talent there on that team. So you know you, you could see a little bit better than that. I think the potential is there, but I, I would expect them in that, uh, you know, third, fourth, fifth area. All right. So Scott, those are the 14 women's teams who are in play for the two spots. What do you think, Scott? Uh, let's just make one pick from each pool for who we think could get, or no, just two teams in general, because they don't necessarily have to come out of the two pools. So uh, who you got here? Well, I'm gonna pick one based on the numbers and one not. Okay. <laughs> I think you know. I think you know. I'm picking Krista McCarvel. Yeah. Uh, despite those numbers, there, uh, not and not the best uh, start to the year, but you know she's Krista McCarvel, right? Of course. Uh, so give me Krista McCarvel, and I'm gonna take the uh, the top hammer factor because I put these numbers together. I must yeah. have done it for a reason. <laughs> uh, give me Beth Peterson. Okay, so Beth Peterson and Krista McCarville for Scott. Uh, I'm going to just go different just to be fun, and I'm going to go with Carrie Galusha because they're on fire, and it'd be fun to see her at the trials. It'd, it'd be incredible. Uh, just to see Fred there uh, with Kevin Cooey's going to be there, and then Carrie Galusha's there, especially if she's talking about retirement. To give her that, uh, that, that spot would be a lot of fun. And then I'm mm-hmm. going to also go with Beth Peterson for my other spot oh no i'm not because you did sorry Uh, i'm also going to go with mackenzie zacharias there uh the young gun to get into the trials oh wow uh all right i'd like to see how this plays out yeah all right so let's move on to the men again 14 teams here competing for the two spots we'll start in what is called pool c and again we'll go alphabetically so that means we're starting with jonathan buke and his team, Scott, they've been outscored this season 51-43. to 43. The only team in this event that has been outscored this year. Uh, and I would have to imagine that their numbers reflect this struggle. Yeah, yeah. Um, another team that's below zero in that negative uh, territory with the hammer factor. Steel defense numbers only 33%, like 33%, too high, not good. Uh, hammer f- efficiency only 27%, not what you want to see out of this team. It uh, will note that on Curling Canada's website, this team is listed as Team Tanner Horgan. 
Yes. Uh, Tanner Horgan is playing third for this team, but Jonathan Buca stepped in uh, as the skip. So uh, if if you're wondering, hey, where's Buke on the yeah uh, on there? That that's that's what's going on. Yeah. Now they will be going up against Mike Fournier and his team. Scott, I think the key thing that I'm looking for is is this going to be Mike Fournier's last event as a competitive curler? He has announced that he is going to retire, and if they do not make it through to the trials, that's it for Mike Fournier as competitive curling goes and it'll be sad to see him go, but certainly well-earned to, to not have to keep up with that grind anymore. Uh, but it is a kind of interesting subplot here that, I mean, this could be the case for some other people on this list too, that this is the last time that we'll see them in a competitive event, but Fournier is the only one, as far as I know, going into it, who has made that declaration. So it's just something mm-hmm. to watch. Uh, will there be if they do get eliminated eliminated what will the reaction be in the building uh, and just from mike himself so just something to keep an eye out but they are a certainly a, a competitive team they can definitely make it into the playoffs they probably should have got to the championship pool back at the briar just that really bad wednesday night uh that mike mm-hmm. had uh, uh, but otherwise they would have had that spot so I, I don't know it'll be fun to see hopefully they get on tv at some point yeah, that'd be really fun. And it would be a good nod, uh, you know, to Mike Fournier, who has announced he's leaving, like you said. That'd be nice to just get him on TV one last time. Yeah. Because uh, why not? Yeah. And so how have they, as far how have they as started the num- this year? Yeah. So as far as the numbers go, I don't think these numbers are accurate. I All the stats, by the way, I got from Curling Zone. But uh, they only had a sample size of seven games. And then underneath, there was many more games that they had played. That said, okay. uh, it looks looks good on the surface, but I, I I'm not willing to say anything about uh, these numbers because I'm sh- I'm not sure that they're accurate. So I'll just say that uh, we'll see, we'll see. Okay, all right. Uh, now another team that we are going to have to see about is Jason Gunlickson. They went to the trials direct entry event here in Ottawa. Did not have the greatest of weeks, and that kind of feeds into the thing that I've noticed about them is that Scott at the Briar back in March, they only won four of 12 last rock draws. They only won one of six at the pre-pre-trials, which means that of their Curling Canada competitive games, they have only started with the hammer five of the last 18 times. That is not really good enough to have sustained success. Again, given everything we know about how important it is to have that hammer in the first end, they're going to have to pick that up. That is a real weakness of the game. And I, I don't know, Scott, what's what's their hammer efficiency like and, and how much does that potentially play into it not starting with the hammer? So, yeah, this is really strange for somebody that's as dialed into analytics as Jason is because uh, he, he values the hammer so much that you'd think that a big focus of their team would be to get that hammer in the first end and then sort of run it out, you know, the yeah. way that they've, they've done so often. Uh, they're, they're decent with the hammer this year so far, 33%, uh, but they're giving up too many steals. It's a 0.25, uh, j- just too many steals. Add that on top of the, the hammer being in the opponent's hands to start the game. And that uh, doesn't equal a lot of success, just a 0.08 hammer factor. All right, so they will have to improve that, and uh, an opportunity to improve that will come against Jeremy Hardy 
and his team out of Alberta. They were first place on the 2019-20 Alberta Curling Tour rankings, and they stated unequivocally that they felt that should have qualified them to be Team Alberta at the Briar last year, citing that Cooey and Brendan Botcher would have gotten in as wildcard teams, and I absolutely loved the just the gusto with which they, they pursued that. I don't think I agreed with them, but I appreciated their candor and their effort in that regard. It was a, an amazing statement that they put out. Uh, this year has not got off to a great start for them. They have not qualified for the playoffs in any of their four events, and Scott, I would have to imagine that that is reflected in their peripheral numbers. Yeah, Sean, just rewind what I said about uh, Gundlickson and play it again for uh, <laughs> Team Hardy, uh, also sitting with a 0. .08 hammer factor for the year. Uh, so yeah, le- like I say, we're trying to see something around 0. .3. It really gives us a good uh, indication. Anything below 0. .1, uh, that's that's tricky. You're going to have to really capture something and, and yeah. buck that trend to be able to move on at this event. Yeah, especially in this field. This is a, or in this pool, this is a good pool here. Because mm-hmm. uh, one of the other teams, the next team on the list is Vincent Roberge. This is a team we didn't know much about going into the pre pre trials, but they came out guns a blazing, go four and O oh at the pre pre trials to get the A side qualifying spot. They also played in the Oakville Fall Classic this year where they went O oh and four. So which team is going to show up? The team that runs the table or the team that uh, goes over? Uh, that's going to be kind of interesting. And is, is there a dynamic here where their first game or or their first game really does set the stage for what their week could be? Who knows? But Scott, are, are we seeing the same divergence in the numbers at all? Um, well, I think you're seeing the the strength of those pre-pre trials uh, showing up in the numbers. Hammer efficiency 41, where you know, maybe that fall classic goes is the steel defense, uh, 25, uh, yeah, 25.25, a little bit higher than we want. Uh, so just a 0.16 hammer factor, which is pretty good. Uh, probably in play for middle of this pool. But like you said, there is some stiff competition here and we're going to have to see the 4-0 team show up if they want to get into the, the next playoff round. Yes, uh, absolutely. So, Let's move on then to Pat Simmons. Scott, this is, Pat Simmons is back. Uh, what I love about them is that they are using as their logo the image of Pat Simmons with his hands in the air after the 2015 Briar shot to win the game. Like that—that's their logo. It's great. I uh, absolutely love it. Uh, playing mm-hmm. with the younger team here, Colton Lott's going to be there. Kyle Daring and somebody else. The other lot. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's the two lots and Kyle Daring here filling out that team, going with the veteran experience at the back end. Scott, how have they done this year and what do you expect from them here in Liverpool? Uh, they've had a, a pretty decent start to the year. Uh, 38% hammer efficiency, a little high on the steel defense at 20%. Uh, gives them 0.18. Uh, they're sort of in that same category as, as the Robert's team. Uh, they're definitely capable and we all know how clutch Pat Simmons can be. So it'll be about them trying to eliminate those steals that uh, will be the key to them advancing. All right. And rounding out this pool C it is Karsten Sturme, another Alberta team in the field. They have already played 27 games this year. That is a whole ton of games at this point in the season. They are 15 and 12 so far. They have 
wins over Matt Dunstone and Brandon Botcher at the Swift Current event that took place back over Thanksgiving. So some impressive wins there. But Scott, are the numbers as impressive? Uh, honestly, yes, they are. Uh, 27 games, the second highest uh, number of games of the teams in this field, either men's or women's. So uh, getting out there, playing a lot, uh, is paying dividends. Hammer efficiency is up at 0.38, 38%. Steel defense, 0.13. Pretty good. That's pretty good. You want to be in that uh, under 0.02 when yeah. it comes to that. So 0.25 hammer factor. A very good start to the season for this team. And I think they could be a dark horse in this pool. Yeah. I mean, we've seen him make an Alberta final before and, you know, had success in that event. Certainly a lot of success at the university level out of that University of Alberta program. And a guy, yeah, we haven't quite seen them a lot yet on the national stage, but that doesn't mean they're not good. Uh, they can certainly no. come through uh, this pool. So again, pool C is Jonathan Buke, Mike Fournier, Jason Gunlickson. Jeremy Hardy, Vincent Roberge, Pat Simmons, and Karsten Sturme. That's going to be a tough one to get out of uh, four or five teams that are probably coming in here expecting to get out with the other two really hoping and thinking they have a chance. So uh, it's going to be a, a, a real interesting situation. It's going to be real interesting to just keep a, a track of what happens there in pool no C. As Sean, before, we- yeah, before we move on, uh, yeah. I, I just want to say Tanner Lot is the other lot playing with pat simmons who didn't want to <laughs> okay. give short shrift right no that would be bad <laughs> absolutely all right so let's move on to the final pool here at the pre-trials it is pool number d and let's start with another team from manitoba Braden calvert and his team scott they have gotten off to an absolute roar of a season and they are 12 and 1 thus far. They lost the final of the Mother Club Fall Classic in Winnipeg. They won the Atkins Curling Supplies Classic, beating Rich Ruinen in the final there. So 12 and 1 record, but the 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 competition level hasn't been super high if you look at the the world rankings and the teams that they've played against. But winning is better than losing. And how do the numbers stack up? Uh, the numbers stack up great, Sean. Uh, 50% hammer efficiency. That's great. Uh, we want to see at least 40% on the, those top-level teams. 50% is, is really, really, really great. Uh, also limiting the steals, just 0.17. So uh, overall hammer factor, 0.33. It's uh, up there. And I think yeah. I think it's the highest one of all the men's teams at this event. So uh, like you say, the competition's probably not at the level that we'd like to see, but they're converting when they have the chance preventing the steals and that's what it takes to win curling matches i'll uh I, you heard it here first yeah score more points than the other team there you go yeah took us four years to get there but we did it <laughs> we did it we cracked the code uh, of the sport and another team trying to crack the code that is pat ferris his team they have a nine and six record overall this year, but only two and four against teams that are in this field. They have beat Carson Sturme and Paul Fleming. They have lost twice to Glenn Howard and once to Sturme and Fournier. So not a great sign that uh, you know, sort of at this level, their record is under 500. But Scott, what do their overall numbers look like? Uh, their numbers look okay. Uh, 0.39 on the hammer efficiency is quite good. Uh, steel defense is what's letting them down at 0.26. So they're not, their overall hammer factor 0.13, 
you know, it's that middle of the road that we were talking about, uh, sort of on, on the ladies side in pool B, you know, uh, could go either way. Uh, but like you say, losses already to teams in this field doesn't give me a lot of hope. Another thing that might not give you a lot of hope for them is that Colton Flash is also in this pool. His team is here. They went to the pre-pre-trials. They played okay in spots. They shut out Glenn Howard in a game. I saw them play against Mike McEwen in a game that really just came down to two shots, essentially, in the, the middle of the game. And Colton Flash just had a tough miss. When he was going aggressive, I liked the call. Uh, he, he could have played safe and probably stolen one easily, tr- went for the steal for two, uh, ticked a guard, and gave Mike McEwen a, a pretty straightforward shot for two. But then put some pressure on him, and, and Mike did have to draw the pin to win the game. But what did concern me in looking at their numbers is that at the pre-pre-trials, they played 39 ends, and they gave up nine steals, which just feels like too many steals, uh, uh, almost a quarter of your ends. Scott, uh, and, and that's not even just hammer ends. That's just total ends. So what are you seeing on the peripherals there? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's too many steals. Uh, their steel defense up at 0.24. That's too high if you're going to want to advance through this event. So that's what they'll have to work on. Their hammer efficiency, pretty good, uh, 0.41, up where you want to see it. But it's those steals, like you say, that are really letting them down. And so they're definitely going to have to clean that up in this field. And uh, one of the teams they can do that against is Paul Fleming. This is, of course, Jamie Murphy's old team who sadly announced a couple weeks ago that he is stepping away from competitive curling. And uh, my note here is that just Nova Scotia curling just got a lot less fun. A lot less fun. Yeah. Yeah. I I know I'm a, I'm a Jamie Murphy. Maybe Maybe the term hater is too strong. Because I sort of poo-poo on his chances quite often. But uh, no, uh, you're right. This team got a lot less fun. Uh, yeah. The sample size of, of stats for this team, it's only four games. So I don't really think it really tells us anything other than they haven't given up a steal, which uh, I guess is pretty good. Yeah. 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 Nothing wrong but, with that. Uh, only, only four games, not, not much to uh, read into it. No. And, and we'll see how that goes. I mean, home team here. So that could be good for them. But at the same time, we've seen it before. And there's a few teams in this field where we've seen when they show up to a briar, it takes them the weekend usually to figure it out in terms of the ice uh, and how to throw. And so we'll be curious to see what the, the situation is here, especially when you have teams in this pool, Howard, Flash, uh, who went to those pre-pre-trials, Grassy as well, who have played on that arena ice already this year. So you just wonder what they've been practicing on. And do they need those two, three games to get into this event? And that might be too long in a six team or a six game round robin. Yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out, Sean. Yeah. All right. Uh, one of the teams that we will see who it's going to play out against is Sean Grassy. This team did go to the pre pre trials and get through in the final, beating JT Ryan in the last game. Scott, they played 71 ends at the pre pre trials. And just this is, I find this very fascinating. Out of the 71 ends they played, the opponents blanked 14 times. He forced 17 times. He was forced 20 times and blanked twice. So out of the 71 ends he played, 53 of them were single or blanks. Or none. So one or zero points scored in 53 of 71 ends. 
So out of the 18 ends where there were multiple score, he had nine for, nine against. Uh, the nine four were all deuces, and the nine against, six deuces, and three triples uh, given up. So uh, you got to think, Scott, like that is a very conservative game plan. Not a lot of points on the board. He only outscored opponents 41 to 35 in the event. I don't think he's going to be able to play that much of a conservative game here. And the question is, can he hang with more aggressive teams? And we've seen him have success at the Manitoba Provincials, making it to playoffs, even making it into finals at times. But when the level is raised, just that extra level with more rocks in play, they haven't, when we've seen them in those games, had the precision to hang with some of those teams. So can they do it here? I'm not saying they can't, but... I'm also unsure of if they can. Yeah, that's that's my worry with them too, Sean. They're, they're like you say, there's not a lot of margin for error uh, with this. We we talk about this with Jason Gudlickson, right? And the way that he plays and how there's not a lot of margin for error. So if you do end up giving up a steal, it's a lot more impactful than, uh, you know, if you're able to also steal back. So uh, their, their steal defense, not great, 0.24. 0.38 on the hammer efficiency is pretty good but uh, yeah it's like you say if this if the stronger opponents that are in this field penalize them more when they haven't got hammer it's, it's going to be it's going to be a tough yeah. week for sean grassy plus i mean getting like 71 ends compared to that 39 ends that colton flash played yeah uh, at different events i know but uh, still that's a that's lot crazy. of curling already to have played and you, you got to wonder, I mean, I know it's early in the season. There's probably a lot of gas left in the tank, but uh, that that was a long event for them. This is going to be yeah. another long event. We'll see. We'll see. I, yeah. I would say I'm I'm not hopeful for them making the playoffs. No, and, and they came through, remember, that seaside too. They lost their first two games at the pre-pre-trials and then ran mm-hmm. the table through. And it, they can lose the first two games here and then win the next four and go four and two. That'll be good enough to get something at the end of the week, but you really don't want to be a spot where you're down 0-2 here. So you're going to want to get out of the gate a little better than they did back in Ottawa. Uh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, another team that's going to want to get out of the gate better than they did in Ottawa is Glenn Howard. His team was in the direct entry event for the trials. Did not go particularly well for them. But Scott, here's a crazy thing. Glenn Howard, and I'm not going to fact check this because there's a 0% chance that uh, it's it's true for anyone else. He is the only competitive curler or the only curler in Canada to compete in every Olympic qualification cycle. He competed in the trials in 87, 97, 2001, 2005, 2009, 2013, and he was at the pre-trials in 2017. Here he is at the pre-trials again, and yeah, I'm just convinced there's nobody who competed in 87. Uh, who is here? Well, maybe Sherry Anderson. Uh, but Scott, this is just an incredible run. This is his eighth Olympic qualification cycle, and maybe it's his last. I'm not willing to bet on that. But uh, you know, it's it's Glenn Howard, and you can never count him out. But have the numbers slipped? Yeah, not really, Sean. Uh, Glenn Howard. We know we saw this team skipped by Wayne Mada come into the briar last year nobody thought they would do anything and uh they they got into that championship pool largely on the back of uh tim march if uh i'm to be if the announcers are to be believed right his great sweeping was able to carve some of those stones 
Uh, of course, you know, Wayne's making great shots. Scott Howard has really become a, a, a top, top level third. Uh, just a, yeah. a real excellent shot maker. Uh, this team is firing on all cylinders right now, and I might peg them as the favorite in this event. Uh, yeah, you know, Glenn's been there before, like you said, and I, I think that they'll, uh, you know, if they play their best, th- their best is better than anybody else's here. Uh, hammer efficiency on the air is 49%. That's phenomenal. Uh, anything up uh, near 50 is is really, really top flight. Steel defense is just down at uh, 17%, 0.17. So uh, their hammer factor of 0.32, that's the sort of number that we want to see of the top, top teams in the world. Small sample size, I know, but they're playing really, really well right now. Yeah, they, they've had a good run thus far. So we'll see how this goes here in Liverpool, where, yeah, they probably are at least na- name brand favorite here in this pool. Uh, but a team that is looking to take them down and could be the favorite four years from now if they're even in the pre-trials and not already in the trials. That's Tyler Tardy. This is the first run of it for Tyler Tardy going for the Olympics. Of course, they eschewed their last year of junior eligibility, just got bored of winning national championships and made mm-hmm. the leap into the men's game in that first year. They went 43-21 and 21 in that 2019-2020 season. What was interesting, though, is that their points per game were down by one point per game, and they gave up one point more per game as well. So even though they were winning games, around the edges, there was some slippage. But when you're out, you're still able to outscore people by three points a game, Uh, whereas the year before in junior, he was outscoring guys four points per game. So still really good, still very talented probably if you, if you look at it that that 2020 bc final against steve laycock probably a big missed opportunity there that mm-hmm. if they won that game they, they would have been there in 2021 as well but certainly we'll see them be bc at some point uh if not this year uh, because maybe they'll be in beijing who knows but scott this team is really good and did their numbers support the expectations that at least i would have for them well yeah, I think you're right. This team is super talented. Uh, this year, they're playing okay. The hammer efficiency, 0.39. Uh, what's letting them down is the steals, which I think I've said for almost every team that's got a lower ranking in this event. Uh, that said, at 0.16, they're sitting fifth in the fourth or fifth in the overall event uh, as far as hammer factor goes. So yes, they're a young, strong team. I, I would pick them for the playoffs if we were picking uh, playoffs. I don't know. Uh, I think this this experience is going to be really good and to build on for the next uh, quadrennial. I think they'll be right there uh, come 2026. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and that's why I say they might not have to play in a pre-trial in 2025 because they'll already have qualified for the trials. They mm-hmm. are that good. So. Here we go. That's the 14 men's teams. Again, Pool C is Jonathan Buke, Mike Fournier, Jason Gunlickson, Jeremy Hardy, Vincent Robert, Pat Simmons, Carson Sturme. And Pool D is Braden Calvert, Pat Ferris, Colton Flash, Paul Fleming, Sean Grassy, Glenn Howard, and Tyler Tardy. Scott, who you got as your two teams coming out on the men's side? Well, Sean, uh, like I did on the women's side, well, unlike I did on the women's side, I'm going to pick the two uh, highest hammer factors. Here, give me Glenn Howard. 
yeah, the, the experience one last run. I think we all want to see it. So I'm picking that for as much as the, uh, much of the story as, as the number, which is also pretty high. Yeah. And uh, give me Braden Calvert, uh, okay. two teams out of the D pool. Yeah. Young qualifying. team there. Yeah. Get, get that spot. I'm also going to go with a young team in Tyler Tardy. I think they can get through this and get one of those two spots. And I'm also going to go with Glenn Howard on the legacy play. Uh, give him a nice send off potentially in Saskatoon. Uh, there where they certainly wouldn't be favorites in that field uh, but that uh, current very knowledgeable curling crowd out there in Saskatchewan would uh, would certainly give them a nice ovation at the end of the week at the very least so uh, let's root for that very good so there you have it Uh, we should note that this is not all going to be on TSN for those of you who would be looking for it on TSN they're only going to show show the playoffs so starting on Saturdays, which is October the 30th at 1230 Eastern time, they're going to show uh, playoff games and then they're going to do the qualifiers. So Saturday night, the first women's qualifier. And then on Sunday, it's going to go men's qualifier in the morning, women's in the afternoon, men's at night. So only those five draws will be shown on TSN. Curling Canada, I believe, will be doing some streaming so you can check it out and do note out there that if you're not in Canada, if curling Canada is streaming it exclusively and there's no TSN issues there, it is not geo blocked. So you can watch it anywhere in the world. If it's a TSN thing, yeah, then it's, it's geo blocked. But for all those early week games, no geo block. So do check it out. And curling Canada does a, a pretty good setup. And with the curling or with the TSN equipment there too, It'll probably look very similar they, they, to what you had in Ottawa, but maybe there'd be a cameraman on the ice, maybe one for some of those draws. Uh, who knows? But uh, it is a pretty slick setup for a stream. So that is your broadcast availability. So Scott, on a scale of one to 10, where one is the elite 10 and 10 is the Olympic games, how excited are you for the pre-trials? Uh, pre-trials, I'd say I'm a, I'm about a five. You know, I think okay. I think it'll be interesting it's going to be hard for any of these teams to win the trials. Yeah. Given the level of competition that's already slated to be there, but there's some young teams I'm interested in seeing uh, one old team, obviously I'm interested in seeing in Glenn <laughs> Howard yeah. and uh, yeah, just sort of, this is, this is the chance to see, like I said before with team tardy, like what the next iteration of Canadian curling right uh, is is likely to be yeah I, yeah i completely agree with you on that front and uh yeah a medium team too and Kristen mccarville is always fun to see and don't sleep on this event too i mean brad jacobs when he won the olympic gold medal back in 2014 it was through the 2013 pre-trials uh john morris mm-hmm. and his team when they made it to the final they came through a pre-trial so it's it's not like these teams are competing in this event to be cannon fodder for the 14 teams that have already qualified for the trials Whoever comes out of this uh, will have potentially a chance to go to the Olympics. So it's certainly worth paying attention to. It should be a very fun week out there in Liverpool. Hopefully this has really whet your appetite for all the fun and frivolity that will go on this week. And we will be alongside following it with you. So do subscribe to the show wherever it is you get your podcast. If you haven't yet, do the likes, ratings, comments, all that stuff helps us out to grow the show and beats those algorithms and we will be following along tweeting all sorts of fun stuff over at game of stones pod 
both on Twitter and Instagram. So check those out. Also over on Facebook, facebook.com slash Game of Stones podcast. You can find all of the live stream stuff that we've done and, and all the episodes are there. And you can follow that page for when we do go live as we are planning to do at some point during this curling season. Of course, you can also head on over gamestonespod.com. All of our past episodes are there, plus the merch tab with all of the proceeds, plus matching on our part going to either Food Bank Canada or the Sandra Schmerler Foundation. And if you want to let us know what you want to hear on the show or just provide some general feedback or your thoughts, Game of Stones podcast at gmail.com. So thanks for listening, everybody. Scott. Sean. It's Olympic time, buddy. Look out. I, I knew this training that I was undertaking was going to pay off. So uh, yeah. this is why we left Olympic season is here. That's yeah. why we left all those weights in the off season. <laughs> yeah. So enjoy the curling, everybody. We will be back with you next week to wrap it all up. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final. Two-thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, they have! Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott alongside, as always, hello, Scott. Oh, Sean, bud. I'm feeling feeling strong, but also feeling sore. (laughs) Just got back from the gym. Yeah, you're getting all swole, eh? Oof, boy. And I'll tell you what, uh, because of a bunch of reasons, I, I had to do my workouts two days in a row this week. Yeah. I uh, I don't recommend it. <laughs> Why is that? Oh, man, I was huffing and puffing and my legs feel like jello right now. Uh, <laughs> That's good. But, that means, uh, uh, it means it's working. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Uh, we also upped the reps today. So I was feeling uh, maybe that maybe that contributed as well. Potentially. Yeah, that is a thing that can happen when you uh, really, you know, hit it hard like that, Scott. Yeah, but you know, I, I mean, I was, I was finding it easy at the other, uh, at the previous level. So we got to step it up. That, it up. Uh, yeah, that is the key. And you know what else we're stepping up, Scott? It is the Olympic qualification process here in Canada. It is time to step it up to the next level as we have a bunch of teams that are en route to Liverpool, Nova Scotia, for the actual pre-trial event, not of the pre-pre-trials or direct entry, nothing like that. This is your regular old pre-trial event, slightly different format than what we've seen in the past. But Scott, uh, the, the closer we get with every step here, it's it's really dawning on us that we're going to have an Olympic representative picked within five weeks here. Yeah, five weeks. Wow, that's uh, ooh, that that is pretty incredible. It's uh, really sneaking up on us. It really is. Uh, late November, just over a month from now, in Saskatoon, we will have nine men's teams, nine women's teams convened. Kind of, sort of interestingly enough, uh, Scott, at the same time as the Euros are taking place. Yeah, it's going to be a busy week, right? It really uh, will. Yeah, yeah, lots of curling on TV. You know what? That. Uh, I might take that week off work. There you go. Why not, eh? 
why not just uh, make sure I've I got all my attention focused on on the trials. Yeah. So uh, here we go. We're we're gonna talk about the pre-trials here. There are what are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, fourteen women's teams, fourteen men's teams in the field here. They are broken into pools of seven, and we will have a round robin within the pools. And Scott, let's talk about the playoff format a little just to start because there are two spots available, men's and women's. Uh, seven teams have already qualified for the trials. This is to fill in the last two spots. So how this is going to work is that you will play your round robin. The top two teams in each pool will go through to, let's say, the A qualifier. And there will be the first place finisher will play the second place finisher from the other pool. The two winners will play, and that winner is in to the trials. The people who lose, so the two losers of that of that one-two game, they will go and play the third-place finishers from each of the pools. Those four teams will play down, and the winner out of those four teams will play the loser of the A qualifying game. So essentially, Scott, how you've described it to me, which actually made a lot more sense in my head when you described it, is that the top two teams in each pool basically have a double knockout playoff. The third place finishers get a single knockout playoff. And that's how we will determine our four teams that emerge here. That's right. That's right. And so I I think that's the easiest way to think about it. We're going from 14 men's teams, 14 women's teams down to just two. Uh, So you got to get there somehow. And it is nice to reward the teams that finish a bit higher in this but also you know there's something to still play for if you're in third place in your pool and i think we could see like quite a quite a log jam you know maybe uh some ties for that last spot uh, in the pool so it'll be nice you know a little margin for error yeah there there is some margin for error there like you say and i think there will be space is there space for tiebreakers here too so, I mean, every game is really going to matter to get into those spots, but certainly an advantage to be in the top two in your pool. And, uh, and looking at the four pools, nothing really stands out in terms of like a pool of death, if you will. I think they're, they're pretty well matched up and, and pretty even if you look across the pools. So I'm excited to see how this is going to go. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And I don't see any time slots allotted for tiebreakers so uh we could be looking at a a last stone draw or uh whatever they call it as the as the mechanism for breaking those ties sure all right so let's uh, we're gonna go through this and go team by team pool by pool Hey everyone, Future Sean here. Just wanted to hop on real quick to say that the stats that we're using in this episode do not include the results from the Penticton Spiel the week after Thanksgiving. We recorded it just before that event started, so those numbers are not included, nor are the numbers from this past weekend's Grand Slam. Fortunately, only one of the teams from the Slam is participating in Liverpool. That's Jason Gunlickson's team, so the numbers for him don't include those results. So just wanted to clear that one up in case you had any questions. So back to you, Passion. Well, let's start on the women's side in pool number A. Scott, let's uh, take this in the order that they are on the Curling Canada website, which is alphabetical. So let's start with Penny Barker. 
team out of Saskatchewan, a former world silver medalist. Scott, she has played in nine provincial championships out there in Saskatchewan. She has won once in 2017. Didn't have the greatest of weeks at the Scotties. Uh, she might not be the most familiar name to folks out there. She has never played in any of the current slams. She did play in the Colonial Square three times when it was considered a slam back when the women were not uh, participating in all of the slams as we know them now. And Scott, uh, what do her numbers look like? So Sean, I just threw together some real quick uh, numbers looking at the the hammer factor uh, for each of these teams this year. Now, my caveat to that is that this is an extremely small sample size. So I don't know that we can glean that much from these. But, uh, you know, it's a quick way to sort of say, okay, which teams might be favored uh, based on how they've played so far this year. So uh, as a reminder, hammer factor is hammer efficiency. uh, So the rate at which you convert the hammer minus your steel defense, which is uh, uh, how little you give up steals. Sure. So uh, a high number in steel defense is bad because you want it to be very low. Uh, so that's why you subtract it. Now we've got uh, Penny Barker converting on the hammer at 33% only. It's not great. And a steel defense of 31% uh, gives her an overall hammer factor of 0.02. Not, uh, not great. What we're looking for in hammer factor is for the women's side, it's anything above 0.28. You're going to be like a great, great team. Uh, so for this event, since uh, the top teams in, in Canada are already sorted out of this, we're going to look for anything above 0.2 will be a, a pretty good hammer factor. Okay. And anything below 0.1, uh, there's going to be some work to do. And I, I'm not very uh, confident in, in that with the caveats I gave before. So 0.02, right. that's below 0.1. Uh, not great. Not great. Okay. So not not doing so well this year. That's the sample size of only seven games. So take from that yeah. what you will. Yeah, so a limited sample there, but uh, the peripherals don't look great for Penny Barker. Scott, a team that, where the peripherals might look a little better is Corinne Brown. She played in the pre-pre-trials, and she was unsuccessful in getting the direct entry spot for the trial. So she is here in Liverpool for the pre-trials kind of an interesting note that uh, I took from the pre-pre-trials is that out of her six games, she only had the last rock in one of those games in the first end. So not great on those uh, last shot first end draws that, that draw to the button before the game. You're going to have to tighten that up because it does really make a difference in terms of winning percentage, having that last rock in the first end. Also kind of interesting that she gave up 15 multiple score ends in that event and only had 10 herself. So you're going to want to see better execution with the hammer and not giving up those multiple ends. And I would assume Scott, that that would have an impact potentially on her hammer factor. So she was able to convert uh, at a, at a pretty good rate uh, at 41%, 0.41 and did limit the steals. But like you say, for her, it was the multiple scores that really uh, put them behind the eight ball. Uh, They were able to limit, the multiples to to no fours against only uh, 12 twos and three threes, as you mentioned. Uh, so her hammer factor is 0.25. I feel like that's uh, pretty good. Uh, I, I th- think this team will be sort of at the top 
uh, of this pool come the end of the week based on that. And the sample size we have for her is 19 games. So a bigger sample size, maybe a little more to take from these numbers, but uh, pretty uh, hammer factor 41% is pretty good. Yeah. And she is the only team from those pre pre trials who is here in the, or in this particular pool who pool. played in that direct entry uh, event. So she would be considered, I think probably in the rankings, the best team here. Uh, maybe not so much in terms of our estimation. We'll get to who that might be a little later, but just in terms of ranking, certainly the highest team here. So, uh, but mm-hmm. Scott, they're going to have to go through a buzzsaw this year. That's right. The team from Yellowknife, it's Carrie Galusha making her first ever appearance at a pre-trials event. First ever for a Northwest Territories team, I believe. Scott, it is a 5,936 kilometer drive from Yellowknife to Liverpool. And uh, we'll talk about why that matters in, in, a, in a minute. But Scott, at the pre-trials or at the pre-pre-trials, she had the she was at the pre-trials direct entry event here in Ottawa. Did not lose. Ran through the field, outscoring opponents 34 to 21. Has had a great season so far. Has won an event in Oakville. Was in another final. Made the playoffs at the Stu Cells Cherokeville event that uh, was that took place over Thanksgiving. And so really just a, a very strong season so far. Joanne Rizzo playing great, throwing those four stones. And for as much as you don't think of Carrie Galusha as necessarily a trials team, based on how they're playing, you got to take them seriously. Big time, Sean, big time. 15 and three so far this team on the year, uh, including that uh, Olympic qualification uh, the, the, or the pre-trials entry event. So yeah, they're feeling it. Uh, didn't this weekend didn't end, you know, the way they were hoping, uh, the, the Stu cells Oakville, what, whatever <laughs> they lost their last game, but, uh, it's a lot to build on for this team. And yeah. so, uh, they're definitely one to watch because of the hot start that they've had this fall, uh, looking at their numbers real quick. Hammer factor is only 0.13. I, I think their steel defense is what's really letting them down. Their hammer efficiency is at 40%. So. You know they're they're one of these teams that's maybe not right at the top, but based on the results, uh, you know the, you play to win the game, as they yeah. say. So I yeah, uh, can't argue with that. Yeah, absolutely. So next on the list here in Pool A, it's Jacqueline Harrison. Her team has had a very good start to the season. They have made the playoffs in all three of the events they have entered thus far. All of those have been in Oakville, the Fall Classic, the Labor Day Classic, and the Stu Cells, uh, but the Toronto version that was played in Oakville, not the Stu Cells Oakville version. And it's it's interesting, Scott, to look at their numbers for the year. Uh, they do have a plus 19 point differential, which you would expect given how many games they've won. But they have had 47 ends with the hammer and given up 18 stolen points, which kind of stood out to me. That seems like a lot of points to give up in that number of ends with the hammer. So how does that impact their overall numbers? Yeah, Sean, you're bang on there. That uh, that steel defense number is only 0.3 uh, due to all those stolen points, like you say. Y- you want this definitely to be below 0.2, uh, and seeing it uh, all the way up at 0.3 is really not uh, not ideal. Uh, hammer efficiency is 35. It's fine. It's not uh, anything to write home about, but because of that steel defense, uh, it takes them to 0.05, just 5% hammer factor uh, over those 12 games. Not uh, not great. They're going to have to limit the steals if they want to have some success 
at the pre-trials. Absolutely. And uh, so let's move on, Scott, to one of our favorites. It's Krista McCarvel, her team coming down from Northern Ontario. Scott, she has come through the pre-trials twice before to qualify for the trials back in 2009 and in 2017. Had a tougher run there in 2017 here in Ottawa at the full trials. Uh, They competed in 2013 but missed the playoffs. But that was only a few months after she had announced that she was taking a step back from curling. Uh, to focus on her career of course she's a teacher and uh, her her kids uh, the, the kids were of course younger then than they were now or are now mm-hmm. uh, so you know maybe wipe out 2013 a little bit because uh, they hadn't really been practicing all that much where they got the invite and they went so the the fact that she's done this twice before the fact that their whole schedule is not necessarily dominated by trying to qualify for those Olympic trials. You do wonder what that experience is like and how important that's going to be. But Scott, where do they stand as we sit here going into this event in the events that they have played this year? Yeah, it's uh, this is why uh, such a small sample size is not always the best way to look at things, Sean. Uh, in their games that they've played so far, with the hammer, they've given up uh one, two, uh, many steals. Let's just say many steals. Their <laughs> steel defense uh, uh, is only 0.5, is 0.59, which is uh, incredible, incredibly bad. <laughs> Remember I said you want it to be under 0. 0.2, yeah. uh, 0. 0.59. Uh, you're giving That's, up steals yeah. in 59% of the time. And and that was sort of their story, I'd say. They've only played four games uh, right. on the Curling Zone website. So the yeah. statistics are really skewed. Uh, that said, uh, their hammer efficiency wasn't great either. So they're at negative 0.34 hammer factor. And when you see somebody at negative, oof, uh, that's not a good sign. That said, small sample size, McCarvel's done it before. I have every confidence that she's going to be able to do it again. Uh, they have a great team and they just show up and win. So, yeah. That they you know, do. knock a little rust off, and uh, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, as you say, the start of excuse me, the start of the season has not gone well for Krista McCarville. We'll see if they can turn it around here in Liverpool, and one of the teams they'll be trying to turn it around against, Justin Murphy. Her team is coming into this event eight and eight on the season, but just an interesting factoid: they're five and zero oh when they've started the game with the hammer. So you're going to be looking at that last rock draw before the game you're going to want to have to win or you're going to want to win those start in that position of power because they have demonstrated so far this year that that is a huge advantage for them and they can really take that to their advantage convert early in the game get that lead and play it out scott does that play out with the numbers and their ability with the hammer um i i'm not sure because uh their steel defense uh still pretty high 0.33 uh, not what you want to see. Uh, I guess it helps to start with the hammer and their hammer efficiency is 0.31, but they're still in that negative category when it comes to hammer factor. And that's really not something that you want to see. No, it's not. So uh, we'll have to see how they can respond, if they can get turned that number around. Uh, all right, another team we have, the final team here in Pool A, it's Beth Peterson. Saw her at the Scotties last year as one of the wild card teams. Kind of an interesting fact here is that in 14 ends that she stole at the Scotties, she scored 24 points. 
She gave up 12 steals to Scotty, but only gave up 13 points. So even when they're giving up steals, very good job there of limiting the damage compared to what they were able to score on steals, averaging almost a half point more per steal than they gave up on a steal. So I think that's a pretty good sign, being able to limit that damage. Now, not a great sign. She did lose eight of the 12 last stone draws. So she was starting without the hammer, I think probably too much to be successful. Uh, But Scott, how are they doing this year in terms of their hammer and steel efficiency? Well, doing quite quite well, Sean. We've got a sample size, just 11 games, uh, but a hammer efficiency of 56. That Again, that means you're converting at least a two on 56% of the ends you have hammer. That's really, really incredible. And limiting the steals, 0.14. Like I said, you want to keep that under 0.2. So they're doing that. And uh, they've got the highest hammer factor, spoiler alert, of any team. Uh, on the women's side at 0.42. So uh, this this team might be, uh, I look at them as one of the favorites in this pool based on what how they're playing. Yeah, and we certainly saw how good they were last year getting into that championship pool as, as a team that nobody, I think, going into the week really expected given that we didn't really know all that much about them. A lot more talk about people like Mackenzie Zacharias, for instance. So it'll be fun to see them out here again. So yeah, that, that's a, a good pool here. So just to wrap mm-hmm. up Pool A, it is Penny Barker, Corinne Brown, Carrie Galusha, Jacqueline Harrison, Krista McCarville, Justin Murphy, and Beth Peterson. Three of those teams will come through into the playoffs where they will cross over against Pool B. And let's start with the one, the only, Sherry Anderson. She is bringing her team. Of course, Nancy Martin is going to be there as well get ready to see a lot of that photo on our twitter account during this event uh she is the two-time defending world senior champion she just goes and wins these events it's amazing to see uh she had a pretty good week at the scotties last year again with nancy martin having a lot of fun there scott how have they started off this season well uh you know uh the veteran of veterans sherry anderson uh Starting off, I'd say pretty run-of-the-mill this year, at 34% on the hammer efficiency, uh, a little high on the steel defense, 23%, 15-game uh, sample, so a little bit bigger for them. 0.11 hammer factor. I, I think they'll, they'll be a team to watch just because of how good Sherry Anderson is and can be. Uh, but I would say there's other teams that have higher ceilings. Yeah, and perhaps one of those teams is Suzanne Burt, her team from PEI. They went to the pre-pre-trials, trying to get the direct entry to the trials. Uh, did not play particularly well there. They lost the last rock draw in each of their four games that they played. They only scored 5.5 points, which is way down for Suzanne Burt. They have to be more aggressive, and Suzanne Burt has to make those last shots. I saw her play a couple games, and she was off. Like They they had chances early in ends, through the middle of ends, but Suzanne herself just missed some some shots uh, and missed those bailout shots, too, uh, when they were trying to either steal or limit damage from the other side. She was just off on that draw weight, and if Suzanne doesn't have it, the way that she likes to play – uh, it's not going to be a lot of fun for them if she's not making those draws because she likes to mix it up, she likes to have a lot of rocks in play. Uh, but Scott, how is that translated to her numbers early in the year? 
that yeah it's uh it's interesting right to only have scored 5.5 points per game i'm looking back at her last three seasons uh 2021 2020 and 2019 uh and her points four per game 9.2 8.2 8.8 for those three years so yeah definitely needs to pick up that scoring to regain some of that form being more aggressive uh that said her hammer efficiency quite good in the uh in the sample we have for this year 45 percent that's what that's what you want to see it's very strong and a 16 percent steel defense uh all amounting to a 0.29 or 29 percent hammer factor so uh, quite high quite good uh and as you said this is one of the the teams that dropped down from that direct entry event and thus is, is higher in the rankings than some of the others but uh the numbers are bearing that out too so uh yeah one of the favorites yes uh so let's move on to the hometown team for this event that's jill brothers scott we talked that the drive time for carrie galusha if she were to drive she's not driving uh but the drive (laughs) distance would be (laughs) 5900 kilometers for jill brothers it's 147 kilometers drive from halifax just a little what south and west out to Liverpool, Scott. The the main thing for this team, and I noted it at the pre pre trials. Kim Kelly is on the team. Kim Kelly is playing and playing great, uh, or at least in the games that we saw during those pre pre trials. We were there when they won this berth on that Sunday morning. We saw that game. Neither team played great. Uh, you know, if if Jill herself plays the way she played that morning, it's probably not going to be a fun week for them. Uh, just because the the level is going to be a little higher now. The ice was tough there. It had been raining all week in Ottawa. There was a leak later in the day on that same sheet. So who knows how much ice conditions played into it because uh, neither team was particularly good that morning. But uh, I, I think this is a team where they have the ability certainly to play really well, get into the playoffs, but they also have the the ability uh, potentially to have a really long week and and maybe be at the bottom of the table. Like I, I think this is a team that has a, a really big variance from being able to qualify to the trials to not getting into the playoffs. Yeah, I uh, I could see that for sure. Uh, looking at the the numbers, thirty seven percent hammer efficiency is pretty good, but the twenty seven percent steel defense uh, not as good. Uh, take those uh, numbers and you get a point one on the hammer factor which yeah it puts them at about a you know 50th in the world sort of level that's that's right. sort of the between 50 and 100 in the world that's that's where that is so yeah i think this is just on the edge here uh, maybe the hometown cooking will will help but yeah. uh, they're going to they're going to have to catch lightning in a bottle and you know if with kim kelly there anything's possible yeah all right, next on the list here in Pool B on the women's side, it's Holly Duncan, a team that has gotten off to a phenomenal start this year. They are 15-5 and five on the year. They have won two events, the Stu Sells Toronto and the Stu Sells Oakville, both played in the same place. Uh, also made the final of the KW Fall Classic, which they lost to Kerry Galusha. So, Scott, I based on that 15-5 and five so far this year, I would think that they're – peripherals are looking pretty good yeah sean uh, you even identified it in in your show notes that we uh, share with each other 54 percent hammer efficiency that's uh that's a number that really jumps off the page uh we talked about uh, beth peterson's at 56 54 uh, same ballpark really really impressive 
Uh, steel defense, it's a little higher than I'd like to see uh, at 0.22. But, uh, you know, you put those numbers together, you got a 0.32. Uh, that's that's very excellent uh, and very impressive for this team. So, yeah, this team could be could be one of the ones to watch. Yeah, and, and don't forget, too, Holly Duncan was in the trials in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, she's certainly capable of getting a team there because she's done it. So don't sleep on Holly Duncan. No, no, don't, uh, don't for sure. I think she was with, I'll look into it while we yeah, talk about fact the check team, that. Right? Okay. Well, actually, yeah. Fact check that Scott. Cause she definitely played in the 2018 Scotty. She definitely skipped Ontario in the 2018 Scotties and had that tie break to get into the championship pool, which she won on that when on that Thursday morning. So, uh, but a, a capable player, Holly Duncan, no question about it. Uh, Absolutely. So, so another capable player, Danielle Inglis is here. She is happy not to be in the same pool as Carrie Galusha, though. She is 0-3 against Carrie Galusha so far this year. Danielle Inglis is local to us. One of the nicest people ever to beat the hell out of us on a curling rink, uh, Scott. Uh, but is there a conflict of interest here? She's a Curling Canada, at least contractor, if not a Curling Canada employee. I mean, do you think, you know, they, they you know shift things around a little bit, give Danielle Inglis a little leg up. <laughs> well, Sean, you're right that they are uh, definitely one of the nicest teams we played uh, and definitely one of the nicest teams that destroyed us. But, you know, everybody destroyed us that year. <laughs> that, that said, uh, no, it was really fun to play against Danielle and the rest of the team. Uh, hammer efficiency, 0.33. The steel defense, 0.34. Uh, puts them just into the negative territory. Uh, not ideal. They're going to have to come up and... and you know, really put together their best week to be able to come out of this event. Uh, I saw them playing at the Ontario Scotties in 2020, uh, where they played really, really well, lost out, uh, I think, to Holly Duncan in the semifinal or another team in the semifinal who then, you know, went on to lose to Rachel Holman. But uh, yeah, they've got great attitude there out on the, out on the ice and maybe hopefully they'll get a TV game. Maybe maybe they will yeah. as uh, she, maybe she got some pull. Yeah, maybe she got some pull. Now the other the other way it could go though is that maybe Curling Canada rigs it against her because they want her at the trials doing all the great work she does on this the back end of things with the social media oh. and everything that she does there. Like it could rig it the other way too. Oh geez, yeah, I, I didn't think of that. <laughs> that'd be that'd be tough. That'd be tough. Yeah, watch your back, Danielle. Make sure everything's on the level. <laughs> yeah, make sure everything's on the up and up. <laughs> All right. The uh, second to last team here in the pool is Darcy Robertson, who just shows up and makes playoffs. Although I don't know how true that's been uh, in the past couple of years. Uh, she did participate in the 2017 pre-trials. Went two and four in that event. Uh, she, interestingly enough, uh, she is zero and two against Beth Peterson so far this year. And, and I think when I look through their schedule, those are probably the, the two toughest games that they played. Uh, so overall, they haven't had the greatest start to the season. And I don't know what to expect from Darcy Robertson. Scott, do the numbers tell us anything? Uh, well, they tell us they're not having a great start to the season, like you just said. Um, a, a negative 0.1 hammer factor, uh, giving up a lot of steals. It's yeah, you never want to be in that negative territory. We've said in the past she shows up and makes playoffs. I think this is this is maybe where that uh, that ends. 
yeah, I think that's the likely scenario here. But again, she's good enough that if she can have that Michelle Englot type run, uh, if we go back to the 2017 Scotties, uh, possible, right? Certainly it, possible. It, any, anything is possible. Yeah. All right. And the last like Kevin team. Kevin Garnett. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, the last team in the pool here, it's Mackenzie Zacharias and her team, which we saw in the Scotties back in February. Scott, this is going to sound potentially like a very esoteric stat, but I, I was really taken by this when I, I looked up their numbers from the Scotties. So they were pretty consistent on three parts of their game. So in-turn hits, 71%. Out-turn hits, 72%. Out-turn draws, 71%. And each of those they threw between 122 and 141 times as a team. So those are remarkably consistent numbers. But Mm -hmm. they threw 207 in-turn draws for 80%. So not only are they throwing this particular thing better, the intern draw better than they're doing everything else, they're also throwing it at least, what, 50% more than their next most common shot. And it seems like that is a recognition of this team that, hey, this is what we're good at. This is where our strength is. Let's do this more. Because there's no logical reason why that number should be that high unless you're actively calling a game to make yourself have intern draws. And mm-hmm. so it's rare for a young team to be so much better at draws than, to, than it hits just early on. While at the same time, it shows that to me that at least unconsciously, if not actually consciously, they are aware that this is a strength. The intern draw is a strength for the team and they're trying to cater ends to get to that point to throw those shots It'll be fun to see. Hopefully there is a TV game with them just to see if that is the case anecdotally in in a small sample size to watch it while also seeing if other teams know this and try to force them away from that if they can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see that sort of a strategic use of the stats uh, come into the the game for them. That would be interesting. As far as the numbers go, pretty pretty run-of-the-mill, like, uh, they're at point one, the same number we saw for the Jill Brothers rank, uh, same for Sherry Anderson's rank. So I think they'll be sort of in the mix for that third spot uh, in this uh, event, that third spot in the pool. Uh, but there is a lot of young talent there on that team. So, you know, you, you could see a little bit better than that. I think the potential is there, but I, I would expect them in that, uh, you know, third, fourth, fifth area. All right, so Scott, those are the 14 women's teams who are in play for the two spots. What do you think, Scott? Uh, let's just make one pick from each pool for who we think could get Or no, just two teams in general because they don't necessarily have to come out of the two pools. So uh, who you got here? Well, I'm going to pick one based on the numbers and one not. Okay. <laughs> I think you know I think you know I'm picking Krista McCarvel. Yeah. Uh, despite those numbers there. Uh, not... And not the best uh, start to the year, but you know she's Krista McCarvel, right? Of course. Uh, so give me Krista McCarvel, and I'm going to take the uh, the top hammer factor because I put these numbers together. I must yeah. have done it for a reason. <laughs> uh, give me Beth Peterson. Okay, so Beth Peterson and Krista McCarvel for Scott. Uh, I'm going to just go different, just to be fun, and I'm going to go with Carrie Galusha 
because they're on fire and it'd be fun to see her at the trials. It'd, it'd be incredible. Uh, just to see Fred there uh, with Kevin Cooey's going to be there and then Carrie Galoosh is there, especially if she's talking about retirement to give her that, uh, that, that spot would be a lot of fun. And then I'm mm-hmm. going to also go with Beth Peterson for my other spot. Oh no, I'm not. Cause you did. Sorry. Uh, I'm also going to go with Mackenzie Zacharias there. Uh, the young gun to get into the trials. Oh, wow. Uh, all right. I'd like to see how this plays out. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the men. Again, 14 teams here competing for the two spots. We'll start in what is called Pool C. And again, we'll go alphabetically. So that means we're starting with Jonathan Buke and his team. Scott, they've been outscored this season 51 to 43. The only team in this event that has been outscored this year. Uh, and I would have to imagine that their numbers reflect this struggle. Yeah, yeah. Um, another team that's below zero in that negative uh, territory with the hammer factor. Steel defense numbers only 33%, like 33%, too high, not good. Uh, hammer f- efficiency, only 27%, not what you want to see out of this team. It uh, will note that on Curling Canada's website, this team is listed as Team Tanner Horgan. Yes. Uh, Tanner Horgan is playing third for this team, but Jonathan Buca stepped in uh, as the skip. So, uh, if if you're wondering, hey, where's Buke on the yeah uh, on there? That, that's that's what's going on. Yeah. Now they will be going up against Mike Fournier and his team. Scott, I think the key thing that I'm looking for is, is this going to be Mike Fournier's last event as a competitive curler? He has announced that he is going to retire. And if they do not make it through to the trials, that's it for Mike Fournier as competitive curling goes. And it'll be sad to see him go, but certainly well-earned to to not have to keep up with that grind anymore. Uh, But it is a kind of interesting subplot here that, I mean, this could be the case for some other people on this list too, that this is the last time that we'll see them in a competitive event. But Fournier is the only one, as far as I know, going into it who has made that declaration. So it's just something Mm -hmm. to watch. Uh, Will there be, if they do get eliminated, what will the reaction be in the building uh, and just from Mike himself? So just something to keep an eye out. But they are a certainly a a competitive team. They can definitely make it into the playoffs. They probably should have got to the championship pool back at the Briar just that really bad Wednesday night uh, that Mike mm-hmm. had. Uh, uh, but otherwise, they would have had that spot. So I, I don't know. It'll be fun to see. Hopefully, they get on TV at some point. Yeah, that'd be really fun. And it would be a good nod uh, you know, to Mike Fournier, who has announced he's leaving, like you said. That'd be nice to just get him on TV one last time. Yeah, Because uh, why not? Yeah, and so how have they, as far how have they as started the num- this year? Yeah. So as far as the numbers go, I don't think these numbers are accurate. I all the stats, by the way, I got from Curling Zone, but uh, they only had a sample size of seven games, and then underneath there was many more games that they had played. That said, okay. uh, it looks looks good on the surface, but I, I I'm not willing to say anything about uh, these numbers because I'm sh- I'm not sure that they're accurate. So I'll just say that uh, we'll see, we'll see. Okay, all right. Uh, now another team that we are going to have to see about is Jason Gunlickson. They went to the trials direct entry event here in Ottawa, did not have the greatest of weeks. And that kind of feeds into the thing that I've noticed about them is that Scott at the 
Briar back in March. They only won four of 12 last rock draws. They only won one of six at the pre-pre-trials, which means that of their Curling Canada competitive games, they've only started with the hammer five of the last 18 times. That is not really good enough to have sustained success. Again, given everything we know about how important it is to have that hammer in the first end, they're going to have to pick that up. That is a real weakness of the game. And I, I don't know, Scott, what's what's their hammer efficiency like and, and how much does that potentially play into it not starting with the hammer? So, yeah, this is really strange for somebody that's as dialed into analytics as Jason is because uh, he, he values the hammer so much that you'd think that a big focus of their team would be to get that hammer in the first end and then sort of run it out, you know, the way that they've, they've done so often. Uh, They're, they're decent with the hammer this year so far, 33%, uh, but they're giving up too many steals. It's a 0.25, just too many steals. Add that on top of the, the hammer being in the opponent's hands to start the game. And that uh, doesn't equal a lot of success, just a 0.08 hammer factor. All right, so they will have to improve that, and uh, an opportunity to improve that will come against Jeremy Hardy and his team out of Alberta. They were first place on the 2019-20 Alberta Curling Tour rankings, and they stated unequivocally that they felt that should have qualified them to be Team Alberta at the Briar last year, citing that Cooey and Brendan Botcher would have gotten in as wildcard teams, and I absolutely loved the just the gusto with which they they pursued that. I don't think I agreed with them, but I appreciated their candor and their effort in that regard. It was a, an amazing statement that they put out. Uh, this year has not got off to a great start for them. They have not qualified for the playoffs in any of their four events. And Scott, I would have to imagine that that is reflected in their peripheral numbers. Yeah, Sean, just rewind what I said about uh, Gundlickson and play it again for uh, <laughs> Team Hardy, uh, also sitting with a 0.08 hammer factor for the year. Uh, so yeah, le- like I say, we're trying to see something around 0.3. It really gives us a good uh, indication. Anything below 0.1, uh, that's that's tricky. You're going to have to really capture something and, and yeah. buck that trend to be able to move on at this event. Yeah, especially in this field. This is a or in this pool. This is a good pool here because mm-hmm. uh, one of the other teams, the next team on the list is Vincent Roberge. This is a team we didn't know much about going into the pre pre trials, but they came out guns a blazing, go four and O oh at the pre pre trials to get the A side qualifying spot. They also played in the Oakville Fall Classic this year, where they went O oh and four. So which team is going to show up? The team that runs the table or the team that uh, goes over? Uh, that's going to be kind of interesting. And is, is there a dynamic here where their first game or or their first game really does set the stage for what their week could be? Who knows? But Scott, are, are we seeing the same divergence in the numbers at all? Um, well, I think you're seeing the the strength of those pre-pre trials uh, showing up in the numbers. Hammer efficiency 41, where you know, maybe that fall classic goes is the steel defense, uh, 25, uh, yeah, 25.25, a little bit higher than we want. Uh, so just a 0.16 hammer factor, which is pretty good. Uh, probably in play for middle of this pool. But like you said, there is some stiff competition here and we're going to have to see the 4-0 team show up if they want to get into the, the next playoff round. 
Yes, uh, absolutely. So let's move on then to Pat Simmons. Scott, this is, Pat Simmons is back. Uh, what I love about them is that they are using as their logo, the image of Pat Simmons with his hands in the air after the 2015 Briar shot to win the game. Like that, that's their logo. It's great. I uh, absolutely love it. Uh, playing mm-hmm. with the younger team here, Colton Lott's going to be there, Kyle Daring and somebody else. The other lot. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the two lots and Kyle Daring here filling out that team, going with the veteran experience at the back end. Scott, how have they done this year? And what do you expect from them here in Liverpool? Uh, they've had a, a pretty decent start to the year. Thirty-eight uh, percent hammer efficiency, a little high on the steel defense at twenty percent, uh, gives them point one eight. Uh, they're sort of in that same category as as the Robert's team. Uh, they're definitely capable, and we all know how clutch Pat Simmons can be. So it'll be about them trying to eliminate those steals that uh, will be the key to them advancing. All right, and rounding out this pool C, it is Karsten Sturme, another Alberta team in the field. They have already played 27 games this year. That is a whole ton of games at this point in the season. They are 15 and 12 so far. They have wins over Matt Dunstone and Brendan Botcher at the Swift Current event that took place back over Thanksgiving. So some impressive wins there. But Scott, are the numbers as impressive? Uh, honestly, yes, they are. Uh, 27 games, the second highest uh, number of games of the teams in this field, either men's or women's. So uh, getting out there, playing a lot, uh, is paying dividends. Hammer efficiency is up at 0.38, 38%. Steel defense, 0.13. Pretty good. That's pretty good. You want to be in that uh, under 0.02 when yeah. it comes to that. So 0.25 hammer factor. A very good start to the season for this team. And I think they could be a dark horse in this pool. Yeah. I mean, we've seen him make an Alberta final before and, you know, had success in that event. Certainly a lot of success at the university level out of that University of Alberta program. And a guy, yeah, we haven't quite seen them a lot yet on the national stage, but that doesn't mean they're not good. Uh, they can certainly no. come through uh, this pool. So again, pool C is Jonathan Buke, Mike Fournier, Jason Gunlickson. Jeremy Hardy, Vincent Roberge, Pat Simmons, and Karsten Sturme. That's going to be a tough one to get out of uh, four or five teams that are probably coming in here expecting to get out with the other two really hoping and thinking they have a chance. So uh, it's going to be a, a, a real interesting situation. It's going to be real interesting to just keep a, a track of what happens there in pool no doubt. C. As Sean, before, we- yeah, before we move on, uh, yeah. I, I just want to say Tanner Lot is the other lot playing with pat simmons who didn't want to give short shrift right no that would be bad (laughs) absolutely all right so let's move on to the final pool here at the pre-trials it is pool number d and let's start with another team from manitoba Braden calvert and his team scott they have gotten off to an absolute roar of a season and they are 12 and 1 thus far. They lost the final of the Mother Club Fall Classic in Winnipeg. They won the Atkins Curling Supplies Classic, beating Rich Ruinen in the final there. So 12 and 1 record, but the 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 competition level hasn't been super high if you look at the the world rankings and the teams that they've played against. But winning is better than losing. And how do the numbers stack up? Uh, the numbers stack up great, Sean. Uh, 50% hammer efficiency 
that's great. Uh, we want to see at least 40% on the, those top level teams. 50% is, is really, really, really great. Uh, also limiting the steals, just 0.17. So uh, overall hammer factor, 0.33, it's uh, up there. And I think yeah. I think it's the highest one of all the men's teams at this event. So uh, like you say, the competition's probably not at the level that we'd like to see, but they're converting when they have the chance, of preventing the steals. And that's what it takes to win curling matches. I'll, uh, I, you heard it here first. Yeah, score more points than the other team. There you go. Yeah, took us four years to get there, but we did it. We did it. We cracked the code uh, of the sport. And another team trying to crack the code, that is Pat Ferris. His team, they have a 9-6 and six record overall this year, but only 2-4 and four against teams that are in this field. They have beat Carson Sturmey and Paul Fleming. They have lost twice to Glenn Howard and once to Sturmey and Fournier. So not a great sign that uh, you know, sort of at this level, their record is under 500. But Scott, what do their overall numbers look like? Uh, their numbers look okay. Uh, 0.39 on the hammer efficiency is quite good. Uh, steel defense is what's letting them down at 0.26. So they're not, their overall hammer factor, 0.13. You know, it's that middle of the road that we were talking about uh, sort of on, on the ladies' side in Pool B. You know, uh, could go either way. Uh, but like you say, uh, losses already to teams in this field doesn't give me a lot of hope. Another thing that might not give you a lot of hope for them is that Colton Flash is also in this pool. His team is here. They went to the pre-pre-trials. They played okay in spots. They shut out Glenn Howard in a game. I saw them play against Mike McEwen in a game that really just came down to two shots, essentially, in the, the middle of the game. And Colton Flash just had a tough miss when he was going aggressive. I liked the call. Uh, he, he could have played safe and probably stolen one easily, tr- went for the steal for two, uh, ticked a guard, and gave Mike McEwen a, a pretty straightforward shot for two. Then put some pressure on him, and, and Mike did have to draw the pin to win the game. But what did concern me in looking at their numbers is that at the pre-pre-trials, they played 39 ends, and they gave up nine steals, which just feels like too many steals, uh, uh, almost a quarter of your ends. Scott, uh, and, and that's not even just hammer ends. That's just total ends. So what are you seeing on the peripherals there? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's too many steals. Uh, their steel defense up at 0.24. That's too high if you're going to want to advance through this event. So that's what they'll have to work on. Their hammer efficiency, pretty good, uh, 0.41, up where you want to see it. But it's those steals, like you say, that are really letting them down. And so they're definitely going to have to clean that up in this field. And uh, one of the teams they can do that against is Paul Fleming. This is, of course, Jamie Murphy's old team who sadly announced a couple weeks ago that he is stepping away from competitive curling. And uh, my note here is that just Nova Scotia curling just got a lot less fun. A lot less fun. Yeah. Yeah. I I know I'm a, I'm a Jamie Murphy. Maybe Maybe the term hater is too strong. Because I sort of poo-poo on his chances quite often. But uh, no, uh, you're right. This team got a lot less fun. Uh, yeah. The sample size of, of stats for this team, it's only four games. So I don't really think it really tells us anything other than they haven't given up a steal, which uh, I guess is pretty good. Yeah. 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 Nothing wrong but, with that. Uh, only, only four games, not, not much to uh, read into it. No. And we'll see how that goes. I mean, home team here. So that could be good for them, 
but at the same time, we've seen it before. And there's a, a few teams in this field where we've seen when they show up to a briar, it takes them the weekend usually to figure it out in terms of the ice uh, and, and how to throw. And, and so we'll be curious to see what the, the situation is here, especially when you have teams in this pool, Howard, Flash, uh, who went to those pre-pre-trials, Grassy as well, who have played on that arena ice already this year. So you just wonder what they've been practicing on and do they need those two, three games to get into this event? And that might be too long in a six team or a six game round robin. Yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out, Sean. All right. Uh, one of the teams that we will see who it's going to play out against is Sean Grassy. This team did go to the pre-pre-trials and get through in the final beating JT Ryan in the last game. Scott, they played 71 ends at the pre-pre-trials. And just this is I find this very fascinating. Out of the 71 ends they played, the opponents blanked 14 times. He forced 17 times. He was forced 20 times and blanked twice. So out of the 71 ends he played, 53 of them were single or blanks. Or none. So one or zero points scored in 53 of 71 ends. So out of the 18 ends where there were multiple score, he had nine for, nine against. Uh, The nine for were all deuces, and the nine against, six deuces, and three triples. Uh, given up so uh you gotta think scott like that is a very conservative game plan not a lot of points on the board he only outscored opponents 41 to 35 in the event i don't think he's going to be able to play that much of a conservative game here and the question is can he hang with more aggressive teams and we've seen him have success at the manitoba provincials making it to playoffs even making it into finals at times but when the level is raised just that extra level with more rocks in play they haven't, when we've seen them in those games, had the precision to hang with some of those teams. So can they do it here? I'm not saying they can't, but I'm also unsure of if they can. Yeah, that's that's my worry with them too, Sean. They're, they're like you say, there's not a lot of margin for error uh, with this. We, we talk about this with Jason Gudlickson, right? And the way that he plays and how there's not a lot of margin for error. So if you do end up giving up a steal, it's a lot more impactful than, uh, you know, if you're able to also steal back. So uh, their, their steel defense, not great. 0. 0.24, 0. 0.38 on the hammer efficiency is pretty good. But uh, yeah, it's like you say, if this, if the stronger opponents that are in this field penalize them more when they haven't got hammer, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough yeah week for Sean Grassy. Plus, I mean, getting like 71 ends compared to that 39 ends that Colton Flash played. Yeah. Uh, different events, I know, but uh, still, that's a that's lot crazy. of curling already to have played. Yeah. And you, you got to wonder, I mean, I know it's early in the season. There's probably a lot of gas left in the tank, but uh, that, that was a long event for them. This is going to be yeah. another long event. We'll see. We'll see. I, yeah. I would say I'm, I'm not hopeful for them making the playoffs. No, and, and they came through, remember, that seaside, too. They lost their first two games at the pre-pre-trials and then ran mm-hmm. the table through. And it, they can lose the first two games here and then win the next four and go four and two. That'll be good enough to get something at the end of the week. But you really don't want to be a spot where you're down 0-2 oh here. So you're going to want to get out of the gate a little better than they did back in Ottawa. Uh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, another team that's going to want to get out of the gate better than they did in Ottawa is Glenn Howard. His team was in the direct entry event for the trials, 
did not go particularly well for them. But Scott, here's a crazy thing. Glenn Howard, and I'm not going to fact check this because there's a 0% chance that uh, it's it's true for anyone else. He is the only competitive curler or the only curler in Canada to compete in every Olympic qualification cycle. He competed in the trials in 87, 97, 2001, 2005, 2009, 2013, and he was at the pre-trials in 2017. Here he is at the pre-trials again and yeah, I'm just convinced there's nobody who competed in 87 uh, who is here. Well, maybe Sherry Anderson. Uh, but, Scott, this is just an incredible run. This is his eighth Olympic qualification cycle. And maybe it's his last. I'm not willing to bet on that. But, you know, it's it's Glenn Howard. And you can never count him out. But have the numbers slipped? Yeah, Not really, Sean. Uh, Glenn Howard, we know we saw this team skipped by Wayne Madaw come into the briar last year nobody thought they would do anything and uh they they got into that championship pool largely on the back of uh tim march if uh i'm to be if the announcers are to be believed right his great sweeping was able to carve some of those stones uh of course you know wayne's making great shots scott howard has really become a a, a top top level third uh just a, a real excellent shot maker uh, this team is firing on all cylinders right now, and I might peg them as the favorite in this event. Uh, yeah, you know, Glenn's been there before, like you said, and I, I think that they'll, uh, you know, if they play their best, th- their best is better than anybody else's here. Uh, hammer efficiency on the air is 49%. That's phenomenal. Uh, anything up uh, near 50 is is really, really top flight. Steel defense is just down at uh, 17%, 0.17. So uh, their hammer factor of 0.32, that's the sort of number that we want to see of the top, top teams in the world. Small sample size, I know, but they're playing really, really well right now. Yeah, they, they've had a good run thus far. So we'll see how this goes here in Liverpool, where, yeah, they probably are at least na- name brand favorite here in this pool. Uh, but a team that is looking to take them down and could be the favorite four years from now if they're even in the pre-trials and not already in the trials. That's Tyler Tardy. This is the first run of it for Tyler Tardy going for the Olympics. Of course, they eschewed their last year of junior eligibility, just got bored of winning national championships and made Mm -hmm. the leap into the men's game. In that first year, they went 43-21 and in that 2019-2020 season. What was interesting, though, is that their points per game were down by one point per game, and they gave up one point more per game as well. So even though they were winning games, around the edges, there was some slippage. But when you're out, you're still able to outscore people by three points a game, Uh, whereas the year before in junior, he was outscoring guys four points per game. So still really good, still very talented probably if you, if you look at it that that 2020 bc final against steve laycock probably a big missed opportunity there that mm-hmm. if they won that game they, they would have been there in 2021 as well but certainly we'll see them be bc at some point uh if not this year uh, because maybe they'll be in beijing who knows but scott this team is really good and did their numbers support the expectations that at least i would have for them well yeah, I think you're right. This team is super talented. Uh, this year, they're 
playing okay. The hammer efficiency at 0.39. What's letting them down is the steals, which I think I've said for almost every team that's got a lower ranking in this event. Uh, That said, uh, at 0.16, they're sitting fifth in the fourth or fifth in the overall event uh, as far as hammer factor goes. So yes, they're a young, strong team. I, I would pick them for the playoffs if we were picking uh, playoffs. I don't know. Uh, I think this this experience is going to be really good and to build on for the next uh, quadrennial. I think they'll be right there uh, come 2026. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and that's why I say they might not have to play in a pre-trial in 2025 because they'll already have qualified for the trials. They mm-hmm. are that good. So. Here we go. That's the 14 men's teams. Again, Pool C is Jonathan Buke, Mike Fournier, Jason Gunlickson, Jeremy Hardy, Vincent Robert, Pat Simmons, Carson Sturme. And Pool D is Braden Calvert, Pat Ferris, Colton Flash, Paul Fleming, Sean Grassy, Glenn Howard, and Tyler Tardy. Scott, who you got as your two teams coming out on the men's side? Well, Sean, uh, like I did on the women's side, well, unlike I did on the women's side, I'm going to pick the two uh, highest hammer factors here. Give me Glenn Howard, yeah, the, the experience, one last run. I think we all want to see it. So I'm picking that for as much as the uh, much of the story as as the number, which is also pretty high. Yeah. And uh, give me Braden Calvert. Uh, okay. Two teams out of the D pool. Yeah, young qualifying. team there. Yeah, get get that spot. I'm also going to go with the young team in Tyler Tardy. I think they can get through this and get one of those two spots. And I'm also going to go with Glenn Howard on the legacy play. Uh, give him a nice send off potentially in Saskatoon uh, there, where they w- certainly wouldn't be favorites in that field. Uh, but that uh, cur- very knowledgeable curling crowd out there in Saskatchewan would uh, would certainly give him a nice ovation at the end of the week at the very least so uh let's root for that very good so there you have it uh we should note that this is not all going to be on tsn for those of you who would be looking for it on tsn they're only going to show show the playoffs so starting on saturdays which is october the 30th at 12 30 eastern time they're going to show uh playoff games and then they're going to do the qualifiers so Saturday night, the first women's qualifier, and then on Sunday, it's going to go men's qualifier in the morning, women's in the afternoon, men's at night. So only those five draws will be shown on TSN. Curling Canada, I believe, will be doing some streaming, so you can check it out. And do note out there that if you're not in Canada, if Curling Canada is streaming it exclusively and there's no TSN issues there, it is not geo-blocked, so you can watch it anywhere in the world. If it's a TSN thing, yeah, then it's it's geo-blocked. But for all those early week games, no geo-block. So do check it out. And Curling Canada does a, a pretty good setup. And with the curling or with the TSN equipment there too, it'll probably look very similar the, the, to what you had in Ottawa. But maybe there'd be a cameraman on the ice, maybe one for some of those draws. Uh, who knows? But uh, it is a pretty slick setup for a stream. So that is your broadcast availability. So Scott, on a scale of one to 10, where one is the elite 10 and 10 is the Olympic games, how excited are you for the pre-trials? Uh, pre-trials, I'd say I'm a, I'm about a five. You know, I think, okay. I think it'll be interesting. It's going to be hard for any of these teams to win the trials. Yeah. Given the level of competition that's already slated to be there. 
but there's some young teams I'm interested in seeing. Uh, one old team, obviously, I'm interested in seeing in Glenn <laughs> Howard. And uh, yeah, just sort of this is this is the chance to see, like I said before, with Team Tardy, like what the next iteration of Canadian curling right. uh, is is likely to be. Yeah, I, yeah, I completely agree with you on that front. And uh, yeah, a medium team too. And Kristen McCarville is always fun to see. And don't sleep on this event too. I mean, Brad Jacobs, when he won the Olympic gold medal back in 2014, it was through the 2013 pre-trials. Uh, John Morris mm-hmm. and his team, when they made it to the final, they came through a pre-trial. So it's it's not like these teams are competing in this event to be cannon fodder for the 14 teams that have already qualified for the trials. Uh, so whoever comes out of this uh, will have potentially a chance to go to the Olympics. So it's certainly worth paying attention to. It should be a very fun week out there in Liverpool. Hopefully this has really whet your appetite for all the fun and frivolity that will go on this week. And we will be alongside following it with you. So do subscribe to the show wherever it is you get your podcast. If you haven't yet, do the likes, ratings, comments, all that stuff helps us out to grow the show and beat those algorithms. And we will be following along, tweeting all sorts of fun stuff over at Game of Stones Pod, both on Twitter and Instagram. So check those out. Also over on Facebook, facebook.com slash Game of Stones Podcast. You can find all of the live stream stuff that we've done and, and all the episodes are there. And you can follow that page for when we do go live as we are planning to do at some point during this curling season. Of course, you can also head on over to GameofStonesPod.com. All of our past episodes are there, plus the merch tab with all of the proceeds, plus matching on our part, going to either Food Bank Canada or the Sandra Schmerler Foundation. And if you want to let us know what you want to hear on the show or just provide some general feedback or your thoughts, Podcast at gmail.com. So thanks for listening, everybody. Scott? Sean? It's Olympic time, buddy. Look out. I, I knew this training that I was undertaking was going to pay off. So uh, yeah. this is why we left all Olympic those season is here. That's yeah. why we left all those weights in the off season. <laughs> yeah. So enjoy the curling, everybody. We will be back with you next week to wrap it all up. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.